your Bibles to Romans chapter 16. Still not finished with verse 26, but I want to preach a phrase from verse 27 before I preach verse 26. So you bear with me on that. We're going to we're going to preach verse 27 part of it today. Start reading in verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest and by prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith. For God alone be wise Alone wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. We're going to preach simply on the phrase in verse 27, to God alone wise. To God alone wise. Basically means that God knows what he's doing. And uh, we often get confused with life because life doesn't go the way we want it to or the way we think it should. And sometimes not even the way we think would be best. It's just like things are a mess and where's God and what's He doing? And the flaw is not with God. The flaw is with our understanding of things. And so this phrase that God alone is wise is a powerful statement I want us to look at today. Now, to learn about wisdom, the first thing you have to know about is the knowledge of God. That's our first point, uh, is how much God knows. And, and we need to start with talking about how much God knows with how little we know. We don't know very much. And, in fact, I think we're getting dumb as the days go on. You know, when I was a young man, guys, and I remember in particular when we were building our house, we were doing most of it ourselves. Uh, you couldn't Google things or YouTube things. You couldn't get on YouTube and find out how to wire a house. And I borrowed one of our church members' book, Kevin Westcliff, anybody knows Kevin. He was in uh, school learning how to wire at the time or do electricity, be an electrician. I borrowed his book for a week and read it from cover to cover to try to learn how to wire my house. And, now you just get on YouTube and you watch a video about it. And you can get on YouTube now and learn how to do most anything. If, if you don't already know it, you can know in just a few minutes. But I'm not sure we really know more though. I'm not sure that we may know less than we did in years past. People can't do as much, I know that. They might know more, but people don't know how to do anything. Our knowledge is little, but we like to think we know a lot, don't we? God's knowledge is all-knowing. It's a doctrinal word that uh, many, many of you may have heard before. It's the word called omniscience. It's two words, omni and knowing. It's, it's all-knowing. He knows everything. And to be all-knowing is to have the knowledge of facts and the knowledge of truth. Literally, God knows everything. He is omniscient. He knows everything about everything. Uh, the Bible gives just a couple of illustrations of 
The Bible gives us two places where it talks about God knowing what men are thinking. Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 5, and Luke chapter 5, verse 21 and 22. Then the Spirit of the Lord fell upon me, and He said to me, Speak, thus says the Lord. Thus you have said, O house of Israel, for I know the things that come into your mind. And then Luke chapter 5, And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this that speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their faults, He said, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? In other words, Jesus knew these people's thoughts even before they spoke. The Bible also has examples where Jesus knew what was going to happen before it happened. In 1 Samuel 23, verses 10 through 12, David was talking to the Lord, and he says, Lord, will the men of Kaliah deliver me into the hands of Saul? As I have heard, and the God of Israel said, He will come down and deliver you. Then David said, Will the men deliver me into Saul's hand in particular? And the Lord said, They will deliver you. So God told David what was going to happen even before it happened. God knows things that are to come. And because God knows everything, He cannot devise a bad plan to bring about His purposes. God knows everything. I want you to stop for just a second and think about that. In, in regards to you, He knows everything about you. He knows everything that's going to happen to you. He knows every detail, every minute circumstance. He knows everything. I'll just give you another point under His omniscience. He is caring in His knowledge. Because if He knows everything but He doesn't care about you, what's the point, right? But in God's knowledge, He is caring. Here's a verse from Matthew chapter 10. Are not two sparrows, that's the smallest little birds, are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and yet not one of them falls to the ground apart from your Father's will. But the very hair of your head are numbered. I mean, hair and single because I don't have the one. The very hair of your head are numbered. God knows. And He's making a comparison here in these verses. He says, I know when that smallest bird falls out of the air. I know that. You think I don't even have your hair's numbered. He's saying, you're even more valuable than a bird. I've got your hair's number. God cares about you. We know that He loves us. When we going through the book of Romans, I hope you've learned that. He loves you. He gave His Son for you. And He says in many places, what else would He not give to you if He gave His Son for you? He loves you. And so God being all-knowing, combined with the fact that God cares about you, is an important detail, isn't it? If He knows everything and He also loves me, then he can use that knowledge for my benefit. Does that make sense? If he loves me, if I, uh, if I love my child, my son, and I also had all knowledge, and I could combine those two things together, I'd do some pretty good things for my kids. The truth is, I don't know very much about things for my kids, but I do love them. God loves you, and he knows everything. If he knows everything, and he cares about you, then when he's devising plans for you, He's going to do those things for you out of love. Another point under his omniscience is that his all-knowing is not bound by time. His knowledge is not bound by time. He knows what happens at all points of time. 
It's as if he sits on top of the church building and he watches the parade as it goes by. He sees the beginning of it. He sees the middle of it. He sees the end of it. There's a doctrinal sentence about this, and it goes like this. He sees the end from the beginning, all parts in focus at once. I'm going to repeat that to you in case you want to write it down. He sees the end from the beginning, all parts are in focus at once. So he is aware of what has happened. He is aware of what is happening, and he is aware of what will happen all at one time. When he watches your life, he doesn't see your past, your present, and future. He sees you. He sees all of your life. And he sees it all at once. The beginning from the end. He sees it all. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 3 says, Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch over the evil and the good. And so God is all-knowing. He has full knowledge of everything. He is omniscient. But the statement in our passage today is that God alone is wise, and so He has wisdom. And so the goal of this message today is for you to trust the wisdom of God. When we leave here, what I want to happen is I want you to walk out of these doors trusting in the wisdom of God. But you can't trust the wisdom of God if you don't know what it is, can you? And so, as we started, we looked at knowledge, and knowledge is facts, or truth, or knowing things, but wisdom has to do with using that truth in the best possible way. Wisdom has to do with taking all of that knowledge that God has, and knowing how to use it in such a way that you would say, He's never made an unwise decision. The word wisdom has... Two root words. The first one is to see, and we kind of covered these, but I want to just let you see how this is a part of wisdom. The word wisdom has two root words. The first part of it is the word to see. It means that you can see the past, the present, and the future all at one time. He sees the end from the beginning. That's the statement. And the second root word is to know. It means he knows all things or is omniscient. And so Wisdom, then, is God using His knowledge to accomplish the best for you because He loves you. Uh, you've ever heard it sir, said of a person something like this? He is book smart, but he has no common sense. You ever heard it said about somebody like that? He's book smart, but when it comes to doing things, he's full of dumb. He's got no common sense. It means that he knows things facts, but he doesn't know how to do anything. He has no wisdom. He hasn't got the ability to take his knowledge of things and put it into practice when it comes to determining a plan or actually accomplishing something. Wisdom is not just knowledge or know-how, but it is, but it is know-how. It is knowing how to do something. Wisdom entails the skillfulness of formulating a plan and carrying out that plan in the most effective ways. So I give you just several different definitions of wisdom here stated in different ways. Wisdom is God producing the best possible results by the best possible means. There's another one. God is wisdom is God forming the best possible plans and using the best means for their execution. 
wisdom is the ability to achieve perfect ends and to achieve those ends by the most perfect means. And then wisdom is the best possible results for the most possible people for the longest possible time. So just let that sink in a little bit. It is God taking all of His knowledge and the fact that He loves you and then Him producing some sort of plan and then He has the power to accomplish that plan or execute that plan to the best result. To the best result. And so that is what it means for God to be an all-wise God. Alone wise. Let me give you two illustrations to help you better understand this. The first illustration is the illustration of the trade. I want you to imagine with me for a minute that this church building here was composed of two railroad tracks. We had one, the back two rows going that direction, and the front two rows going the opposite direction. So we got a railroad track going in two different directions, trains coming back and forth on these tracks. And then imagine up on the hill above those tracks is a little house, and in that little house lives a man whose sole job is to flip a switch that causes the tracks to change depending on which way the train is going. This man who lives in that house, who has the job of changing the tracks, has a little boy. Let's assume he's about four years old. And one day, the guy sitting up there in his house sees the train coming, and he's got his hand on the lever. He's ready to switch the tracks. And about that time, he looks down on the track, and his little boy is caught his foot in the track, and he, and he can't get loose. The dad doesn't have time to go down there and release the little boy from the track. And so now he's got a decision to make. He's sitting up there, watching the train coming, seeing his son trapped, and he knows this, if he flips the switch or pulls the lever, he can save his boy. But in doing so, he's going to send the train where it's going to fly out head on with another train just down the track. Or he can not pull the lever and save his, or, or, and not save his child. He can save the train. No train wreck, but in the process, his little boy would be killed. What is the wisest decision? What should he do? We could stop for a minute and we could split up your groups and devise plans. How's the best way that you could either make this decision? Do you save the boy or do you allow the train crash to happen? Or do you save the train people? It says about 500 people if they have a crash and allow your little boy to die. You see, if we, if we split up and we make groups and we try to decide how to answer this, I think most people would probably come back and say, 500 people are, are more valuable than one little boy, not your son. you got to save the train. I think that's what most people would do. They would equate 500 people more valuable than one person and say, save the train. But there's a lot more facts out there than that that we cannot know and we do not know. Things like this. What if what if this little boy, his son, what if we knew that one day that little boy whose foot is called, one day that little boy is going to find the cure for cancer. 
So by saving that little boy, you don't save lose 500 people. You you save millions of people who are dying every year with kids. Well, then everything changes. There's a, there's a, a component of information that if you had that information, you'd be like, save the boy. Well, let's turn it around. What if on the train is a little boy who's one day going to cure kids? Well, if we had those facts, then we'd say, well, let the little boy on the tracks die. we gotta, we got to save the train. We go on and on with this scenario. What if on the train is a pregnant mother who has in her belly a little boy who's one day going to be born and he's going to do one of the greatest things that's ever done. He's going to preach to the, to the whole world and millions of people are going to get saved. You know, save the train. I mean, we can go on and on. And we can look at every little person on that train and the, and the boy whose feet are caught. We can paint scenario after scenario and in reality, these are things that you and I do not know and cannot know. But God knows. He knows all of those things. And only God is wise enough to make a decision that takes all those factors into consideration. And His decisions would still be the best decision, a competent decision, done out of love. I'll give you another illustration. This illustration is the illustration of Joseph in the Bible. It comes from the book of Genesis. If you remember Joseph, he was the son of Jacob and Rachel. The son of twelve. From where we get the twelve tribes of Israel, these were the twelve sons of Jacob. If you remember the story, God gave Joseph a coat of many colors one day because, uh, not God, but Jacob did. He had a dream, and then Jacob gives him the coat of many colors, and he was the favorite of his father, and because of that, his brothers didn't like him, his brothers were jealous, and so one day, uh, you remember the story, they throw him into a, a pit, strip his coat off of him, and throw him into a pit, and then, here, give us the coat, throw him down in a dark pit in the ground, literally a hole in the ground, and they leave him there until some slave traders come by, and they sell him into slavery. This is their brother. Go back home, make up some story with her dad about how he got killed by beasts and how he's now dead. And so then uh, Joseph ends up in Egypt. And while he's in Egypt, the Bible says plainly this statement several times in the book of Genesis. It says, and God blessed him. God blessed Joseph. And so uh, Joseph becomes a leader in Pharaoh's house. The Pharaoh of Egypt, Joseph becomes a leader in his house. And you also, if you remember that, you remember the story that Pharaoh's wife, uh, she really liked Joseph. And she wanted her some Joseph. You remember this part of the story? And she chased him down one day and grabs, his, grabs him by the coat and he runs out the door. And she accuses Joseph of trying to be wrong with her. And so what does Pharaoh do? He casts Joseph now into a prison. And he's thrown in jail and locked away and stripped of his leadership. But the story goes on. While he's in prison, he becomes a leader in the jail. And in the jail, the Bible says, and God blessed him. And he became a leader among those prisoners there. And he was somebody who was come to be known as a person who could interpret dreams. He'd come to be known as a person who had a relationship with God to such a degree that he could interpret your dreams. If you had a dream, you'd go seek out Joseph for the answers. And later... 
Pharaoh had a dream and he needed an interpreter and so they go and get Joseph and Joseph comes out and he interprets the dream and he, he tells the Pharaoh that there's going to be a great famine coming through all the land and it's going to last for years and so we need to gather all the produce together in storehouses and store up food for many years because it's going to be such a great famine. And so then Joseph is raised again. The Bible says he's, he's the leader in Pharaoh's home. The first in the realm. He's the leader of, of the kingdom under only Pharaoh and he prepares all this food to, to save people from the starvation that is to come. And then as the story goes on, two years into the famine, Joseph's brothers come to Egypt to beg for food because Jacob's family is starved to death. And they meet before Joseph. They don't recognize Joseph or know it's Joseph. The Bible says, and they bow their face to the ground, which is part of what the coat of many colors dream was about back then. He says he's going to get a coat of many colors, and his brothers would bow before him. Well, now that's happening. They bow to the ground. They say, Joseph, they don't know it's Joseph, give us some food. We're starving to death. Let me read to you what Joseph responds to them there in Genesis chapter 45. Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. So they came near and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve posterity for you in the earth, and to save your lives by great deliverance. So, it, so now it was, not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh, and lord of all of his house, and a ruler throughout the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me and do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near to me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. Think about that. Joseph is now telling his brothers, Go back and get my dad and bring everybody here. Because what you meant to harm me, God has used for good. He says that in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. In order to bring it about as it is this day, to save many people alive. We can look at that story and we can stand back at a distance and say, Wow, how great is God? What a beautiful picture. But let's, let's get into the story just a little bit. And first of all, Pretend like you're Rachel, his mother. Jacob was married to Rachel because, you remember, Rachel was Jacob's favorite. The Bible says he thought she was pretty, but Leah not so much. You remember that? And so he married Rachel second, who was his favorite, because his father-in-law tricked him. But what you may not remember was Rachel was barren and she couldn't have no children. She was barren for many years and couldn't give the love of her life a child until one day... God blessed her and gave her the ability to bear a child. And the child that was born to Rachel was Joseph. And so imagine Rachel now, and she's sitting at home, and those brothers come home, bringing the coat of many colors that's tore into pieces and laying it at their father's feet and saying, Joseph is now dead. He's been killed by a wild beast. Imagine, put yourself in Rachel's shoes for just a minute and think of how she must have raised her fist at God, so to speak, and said, God, why is this happening? 
I was barren for so long, and you finally gave me a son, a son that I loved so much, and we adored him so much, and now you've just allowed animals, wild animals, to kill him. She could have doubted God's wisdom in that moment in a great way. Let's put yourself in the in the life of Joseph for just a, I mean Jacob for just a minute. Jacob loved Rachel more than Joseph. I mean Rachel more than Leah. And he wanted to marry Rachel and to be with her and to have a child from her. And when she finally does have a child named Joseph, that child becomes Jacob's favorite child. So much so he's got the audacity to give him a coat of many colors. Look, back in the day, a colorful coat was a big deal. To give him that coat of many colors, and now Jacob is sitting at home, and his sons come home and say, Joseph has been killed by beasts. Imagine what Jacob could have said to God. Lord, what are you doing? I don't like it that you've taken my son from me. I don't like it that you've caused this disarray in my home. Lord, what are you doing? This doesn't make sense to me. Why would you take Jacob? I got some other ones you could have took. You know, everybody said, what about this one or that one you could have took? But not Joseph. Now let's try to put ourselves in the life of Joseph for just a minute. Joseph. First of all, let's jump in the pit with him. Be down in the pit with Joseph for just a minute. And think how Joseph must have fought. Lord, why am I down here in this dark, dirty hole? I love my brothers. Why don't they love me? I care about my brothers. Why would they put me in a pit? Surely, God, this is just a joke, and they don't mean anything by this. A few hours later, they sell him into slavery, and he's put in shackles, and he's being drugged down the road as his brothers are going the opposite way, high-fiving him and laughing at him. What's Joseph's discourse with God in those moments? He could have been saying, Lord, I don't understand what you're doing. This, this doesn't make sense to me. I love my brothers. Why don't they love me? Why am I going down this road as a slave now, Lord? Lord, what are you doing? Let's walk further with Joseph. He gets into the palace of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh raises him up to leadership early on because the blessing of God is on him. And he can see the blessing of God is on him. But soon as the blessing comes, here comes Pharaoh's wife trying to love on him. And he has integrity. He rejects her. He even literally runs from her. And she makes up lies about him. And Pharaoh cast him, cast Joseph into prison, into jail. Now Joseph is in prison. Having his course with God. Lord, what am I doing here? <laughs> Why am I here, Lord? I know I'm not everything. I don't deserve everything. But why am I in prison, Lord? Why am I shackled? You've took me, Lord, from the pit to the prison. There's a message I can preach right here. From the pit to the prison. That's where you've took me, Lord. And now I sit here alone, chained with no hope, no family, no future, I can't see what you're doing here, Lord, as I said in this jail cell. I'll give you this illustration because I want you to understand that many times when we go through life, we could be like any one of, none, one of these family members here 
where when we look at our immediate context and our immediate circumstance, we cannot begin to see what the plan of God is. We cannot begin to see where God could be bringing good out of this. This all seems bad to us. It even sometimes seems harmful to us. And it certainly doesn't make sense to us. But it does to God. God's wisdom sees the end from the beginning. Remember that statement? And so there's no need for guessing or pretending with God. His wisdom has clear focus. He can see everything in relationship to everything else, the beginning from the end, and therefore God's decisions are lawless. I want you to notice in the passage I read to you from Genesis chapter 45 about Joseph. At the end of that statement where he's talking about how God meant it for good, but you meant it for evil, he says this, I want you to come move to Egypt, and, and thereby God will save you and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. I want you to understand right there in that statement, the end of Genesis 4, 45 verse 10, He's taking this into account. The wisdom of God is so great that God took into account not just Joseph, but also Jacob and the rest of the family, but also it says your children and your children's children. He was even looking at their grandchildren and all your herds and everything you have. In other words, the wisdom of God took into consideration not just Joseph, but the rest of the family, and it also took into consideration the grandchildren, and it also took into consideration the animals and everything else he had. That's how great the wisdom of God is. That's how vast the wisdom of God is. He could consider all of these things even down to your grandchildren when he was orchestrating your life, and all you could see was the right dead and the right there. Isn't that amazing? When God's making decisions for me, and I'm trying to estimate whether or not God made a good decision, which I often do. I'm trying to say, Lord, is this good, what you've done, or bad, what you've done? Do I stop and think that God's even considering my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren when he's orchestrating the details of my life? I'm going to give you a very personal example in my own life. I have known some young men who have passed away. Young fathers who have passed away. I won't call their names. Some of you know who I'm talking about. And when I think of them, and I think of their little child who was left alive without a dad now, at times I've been angry about it. At times I've been sad about it. It's, at times I have wept about it and even said to God, God, why would you take that godly man away when he has a little son or a little girl there still having to make it on her own? And it doesn't make any sense to me. But I had never fathomed in my mind that in the wisdom of God, when he took that man away, he wasn't just thinking about the little girl. He was thinking about the little girl's girls and the little girl's children and the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren that were to come. And in God's wisdom, in his all-knowing, omniscient, sovereign wisdom, God has made the best decisions. Though I may not see it now, and though I may not ever see it. Romans chapter 11, verse 33 says, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways. 
past finding out. I want to just give you one point of application today. The point is this. Trust God. The more you understand how wise God is, the more you will trust Him, even when things don't seem to be going the way they should be. God is all wise. Isaiah 55, verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Isaiah 55, verse 9. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. Let me just say to you lovingly today, God has not done wrong. He knows what He's doing. God has not done wrong to you. He loves you. He knows what He's doing. And at times what is going on in your life may seem like utter madness. How can this be of God, you might think? But I want you to understand, if you can't understand anything else, get this. God's wisdom and His knowledge is so far above ours, we don't ever have a right to ask that question. He's all-knowing, and He's all-wise. And so I say to you, don't take for granted what God has done for you, and praise Him for what He's doing in your life, even if you don't like it. Lord, I don't 
even like this area that I don't understand, but in this area, I trust you today. And I believe in your doing what is best for me. You are wise and all-knowing, and I trust you, Lord. I trust you, Lord. I trust you, Lord. Father, this is our prayer to you today. You are wise and all-knowing, and we trust you, Lord. 